You are now listening to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jordan and Jimmy. All right. <clears throat> Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today is August 9th, 2020, and I am Jordan. I currently contribute articles weekly for the Sideline Report. And I'm Jimmy Liao, board certified in family medicine, University of Michigan Medical School graduate. And we are your host. Just to give you a, a little bit of background about us and to let you know a little bit more about what we actually do. And we want to take a quick second and to thank all of our listeners, whether you're new or returning. You've grown quite a bit in these last couple of months. So we want to give a huge thank you out to everyone. Again, we appreciate everyone who's given us a listen or just even checked us out. We've got a lot of stuff planned for this upcoming season. We're going to be doing a lot of extra segments, a lot of new stuff. So we're excited to share that with you. One new segment we're going to be starting doing is we're going to be doing fan questions. We're going to be answering your questions here live on the show. And you can send your questions to us, whether it be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we can respond. Like I said, you can get to us anywhere, basically. It doesn't have to be Lions related. It can be fantasy football. It can be Lions news. It can be NFL news, or it could just be personal questions in general. Whatever you're wondering, we'll be happy to answer all of them. Yeah, so. I'd like to really encourage everybody to go ahead and post comments or questions because I don't think of you as listeners, but rather just as fellow Lions and NFL fans just hanging out and conversing. Uh, Twitter yeah. might be the easiest way to reach me. I'm at Jimmy Liao MD, or our podcast Twitter is at Motown Sport Talk. Mm-hmm. And Jordan, you're at Motown Jordan, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep, that's correct. Again, you can hit us up anywhere you like on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. It's pretty much just that both Facebook and Instagram are at Motown Sports Talk. That's pretty much it. So we're actually going to start today. We got a couple of fan questions submitted over this last week. And our first question actually comes from at the Intense Eagle on Twitter. And he asks, is Kyler Murray a viable fantasy option? Who is the go-to running back this season? And which wide receiver will have a breakout year this year? Starting with Kyler Murray, I personally definitely think that he is going to be a great fantasy option, especially since they added DeAndre Hopkins to the roster and they already had a loaded wide receiver room with Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk on the roster already. And they still, they added Kenyon Drake from Miami to the backfield. So Kyler Murray is definitely going to have a great year this year, I think, even if the Cardinals don't produce wins, which I think they're going to be better than they were last year overall, but I do think their offense is going to be very explosive this year. You might be right uh, with Kyler Murray. Uh, he got DeAndre Hopkins, which is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally with first and second year quarterbacks, I withhold judgment for a little bit. Last year, I, I was expecting Kyler Murray to be a much more impactful runner as a quarterback and get a lot of yards on the ground. He actually yeah. wasn't much of that. So if that's really not a big part of his game that might impact how good he is as a quarterback going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That whole running aspect of a quarterback can be huge. We've seen with Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson in the last couple of years, how big that running can be. So maybe he can kind of step up and use that a little bit more this year. That again, will add huge fantasy value because those running yards are more valuable than the passing yards. So then moving on to the go-to running back, this is, It's got to just be Christian McCaffrey. He's by far the best running back in fantasy, as well as probably in the league, to be honest. He can do it all. He's especially in PPR leagues. He can catch passes out of the backfield, and he's obviously a great straightforward runner who can just power up through the lines. I agree. He's almost like a wide receiver as a running back. So he gets you two players in one almost. He has had about 1,000 yards receiving, led the league as far as running backs and receiving the past two years. So very Mm -hmm. impressive by him. Yeah, so he's by far the go-to running back. 
And then quickly, the which wide receiver will have a breakout year this year. Obviously, in my personal opinion, I think it's going to be Kenny Galladay. But after he put up a thousand yard season and led the league in touchdowns, how much more can you really break out? He just doesn't get the national recognition that he deserves. So if you want my non-biased opinion, I think it could possibly be Deontay Johnson from the Steelers. He could have a great year this year. He saw his snaps increase immensely, and especially with Ben Roethlisberger coming back, hopefully healthy, and Juju Smith-Schuster probably drawing a lot of the attention on defense. I think he could have a lot of catches this year. Yeah, picking a Steeler wide receiver historically is a pretty good move. For some reason, they're just able to hit on wide receivers, even late-round wide receivers like mm-hmm. Antonio Brown, Mike Wallace a few years back, Juju Smith-Schuster, which was a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's their offense, if it's their coaching, or if it's Roethlisberger or just combination of everything, but their wide receivers generally outperform. So that's an early season statement. I would like to bring this point back up. If he does perform pretty well, I hope you draft him and I hope he does well for you. Moving on, we actually got a couple more questions from Blaine Kuhnman. I apologize if I butchered your name, but he reached out to us on Facebook and he asked us a few questions, but we just grabbed a couple of them. So the first question he asked is, why haven't the Lions signed Kenny Galladay to an extension yet? And quickly, my personal opinion, honestly, I'm not sure, but they do have a few people to extend this year with obviously him and Taylor Decker requiring an extension coming up. And this whole COVID situation has definitely brought upon some uncertain times that a lot of agents and a lot of teams don't know what the salary cap going to be changing over the next couple of years. It's hard to give people long-term extensions. Again, we'll just have to wait and see on that. What what are your thoughts on that, Jimmy? Yeah, it was a really good idea for Bob Quinn to wait to extend Galladay until the whole COVID CBA was passed and all the opt-outs were decided. Mm-hmm. We're seeing what happened with a guy like CJ Mosley, who signed a huge contract a couple years ago and now has opted out and has made $29 million for playing one year of football. (laughs) And that one year, he actually only played two games. So the Jets are getting a horrible return on that contract. And given that there could be COVID opt-outs in 2021, Bob Quinn is doing the smart thing, seeing how this plays out. And now that we know exactly what the CBA is, now go ahead and structuring Galladay's extension just in case of a future COVID issue is a smart move. Exactly. Yeah. That's the biggest question. Even agents have said that this is unprecedented times and they don't really know how to go about with trying to structure your contracts, whatever for the future. So it's going to be interesting to see. And like I said, quick off topic, if we had to choose between Kenny Galladay or Taylor Decker, I think we've talked about this before, but if we had to pick one of them, who would you choose to extend? Well, my preference as a fan would be Galladay just because he's ex- exciting. He's a third round pick who vastly outperformed where he was drafted. It's fun to watch. We're used to watching exciting quarterbacks with Calvin Johnson. So that's the more exciting guy, but an offensive tackle is extremely important as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said, I think we've talked about this before. And plus, with Taylor Decker being a first round pick, you obviously used a little bit more higher value on him to begin with than Kenny Galladay. And I'm not saying Bob Quinn's known for picking gems in the late round draft, but he has gotten a few picks that can perform in the later rounds. So it's possible that he could again pick up a wide receiver, find another wide receiver in the late rounds who I'm not saying could be like Kenny Galladay, but can still put up decent numbers. So 
Alliday's probably going to cost more than Decker if we're talking about a money standpoint. The franchise tag for this year for offensive tackles was fifteen million. For wide receivers, eighteen million. Yeah. So, if Bob Quinn's trying to make a choice here, which guy to keep? The offensive tackle is probably going to be cheaper. Yep. So I agree. If we had to choose, I definitely think we should choose Taylor Decker over Kenny Galladay. But which you said is not going to be the fan favorite choice there but moving on to blaine's next question he asked is jared davis done in detroit and if so will he succeed more with his next team i.e similar to kyle van noy with the new england patriots my first opinion is i do think this could be his last year in detroit but that obviously largely depends on his play this year because matt patricia has stated that he wants to keep him in detroit and we obviously brought in Corey Undelin, who is going to be changing, hopefully, the style of this defense and can be using him in a completely different style. And he claims to have added, I believe, about six pounds of muscle, he says. So we could be looking at a different Ger- Gerard Davis this year. So, again, I do think this could be his last year. But if he can step up and play well in this new style of out- or defense, then he might have a new role for the next coming years. Yeah, here are a few reasons why it's likely to be his last year. We did not pick up his fifth-year option, so it's not like we're super confident in what we're getting with him. Uh, He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. He's unlikely to play well enough to deserve a franchise tag or uh, any kind of tag. So that means as a free agent, any team can get him. Any team can outbid us for him. So it's unlikely we're also going to extend him in the middle of the year because we're probably not going to see enough just a few games into the season to want to give him an extension. So putting this all together, he's probably going to hit free agency in the offseason, which means it's unlikely he'll be back. Yeah, I agree. But again, it depends on his play this year and if he's willing to come back. But I think if he can hit free agency, I think some teams might be willing to give him a big contract and try to figure out a different way to utilize him. Yeah, it's sort of sad because I, I want him back. I like him. I always like our drafted guys, and he hasn't been a bust. He He's right. still very athletic, and he can't have a role, so I would like to see him back. Yeah, I completely agree. You always, Like you said, you always have to root for the players that we draft, especially that high in the first, second round, third round. You always root for them to succeed, and you always want to see them continue success in Detroit as opposed to seeing them succeed in other um, teams. So, Yeah, and he's such a good character guy, too, such a – Real high quality guy, no off the field issues. It's a guy that's easy to root for. Yeah, I completely agree with you. We're going to move on and we're actually going to discuss this whole Matthew Stafford false positive test result situation that happened last week. I'm assuming everyone has heard by now that Stafford was testing positive only to find out three days later that was actually a false positive. And the team has released a statement regarding the situation. Jimmy, do you want to elaborate on just the statement from the team? Yeah. So let's talk about what happened. Stafford had at least a couple negative tests before the positive test, then a bunch of negative tests after the positive test. So it was an isolated positive test. Mm -hmm. Kelly Stafford stated that on her Instagram, after the second negative, they were told the positive test was a false positive. The team's statement, quote, states that Matthew does not have COVID and never has had COVID. The test was false positive. Here are my thoughts on that. (laughs) That statement is medically illogical and just wrong. There's no way that the team or the doctors could have known for sure that it was a false positive. 
The reason is there's no gold standard test to compare it to at this time. And there's also no way to say for sure that Matthew does not and never had COVID. So I don't like that statement. It was simply incorrect and inappropriate to release that kind of a statement. The only way to say a test result is actually wrong is if it was labeled with the wrong name, handled improperly, or contaminated. If this was the case, the test should have been deemed invalid and stricken from the record. So the fact that they were sticking with the positive results suggests the test was done properly. How do you basically interpret the test results? Like I said, how, especially since the NFL has came out and stated that they're going to be changing the way NFL teams do the whole testing. So how are you going to like interpret the way they give those results out now? Yeah, good question. So the simplest explanation is that Stafford had a false negative surrounding the true positive not the other way around. Mm -hmm. False negatives are considered to be far more likely than false positives. Mm -hmm. The false positive rate is thought to be very low, like 1% or less. The false negative rate, on the other hand, is thought to be pretty high, up to 30 or even 50%. So it's actually much more likely Stafford had a true positive that was surrounded by false negatives rather than Mm -hmm. a false positive. Mm -hmm. Here's another other explanations, assuming that all the tests were true. One is he could have breathed in some virus into his nose that morning. Uh-huh. Maybe somebody coughed in his face. The swab picks up the virus, creates a positive test. Later on, Stafford blows his nose a few times, expunges all the virus. Second possibility, something called sample variance. You could do te- 10 tests, one right after the other. Some might be negative, some might be positive. This does not mean any of the tests were wrong. Some swabs might have simply collected enough virus matter to be positive. Other swabs, maybe not. In addition, sample collecting is not an exact science. Collecting a sample requires compliance of the (laughs) patient as well as skill from the collector. So if the patient is wiggling around, non-compliant, or the tester is not inserting the swab correctly, that false negative rate will increase. Third possibility is Stafford's immune system could have cleared the virus from his system quickly. He may already have immunity from having contracted it sometime in the past few months. Now, keep in mind that COVID has been around for six months or more already. Mm -hmm. So a significant percentage of the population may have already contracted it. So Stafford may already have antibodies, which helped his body clear the virus from his system very quickly. Mm -hmm. Even if he wasn't immune, Even if he had never been exposed to the virus in the past, his body still could have fought it off quickly, especially if the viral load was low. Yeah, it's really interesting how they do those tests because, like you said, there could be so much interference between whether just the patient is cooperating and whether the doctor is actually knowing what they're doing. Like Dr. Sills actually did a conference call to sort of like clear things up. What were your thoughts on his conference call? Yeah, so he had a conference call two days ago on Friday. He basically shot down everything in the line statement. (laughs) He acknowledged that the test was likely a true positive, and he did not use the term false positive at all in the statement. He used the terminology unconfirmed positive instead. Mm -hmm. That's much more medically acceptable and appropriate. Uh, He also confirmed that it was possible and even quite likely that Stafford has had COVID at some point. Hmm. And I agree that it is likely that Stafford has been infected at some point. Yeah. 
given that Stafford and family are healthy, this is actually good news for Lions fans because it means Stafford might have some immunity going into the season, mm-hmm. which will hopefully decrease the likelihood of positive tests. Yeah, exactly. Again, we've st- talked about that probably a hundred times on the show already that it's better to get it now and get it early or get it before, like earlier in the offseason and hopefully build, like you said, build up that immunity and be good for the season. So I know Kelly Stafford had a pretty big reaction on Instagram where she was saying that kind of ruined her life basically for a few days so did you have any thoughts on that yeah she was very angry so Mm -hmm. my question is what did the doctors tell kelly and matthew stafford and how did they present it to her Mm -hmm. my experience as a doctor how a doctor presents results to a patient can vastly make a difference in how they react to it if they were told that definitively the positive test was wrong i can understand her reaction because that's the wrong thing to say to a patient. Because yeah. first of all, it's incorrect to definitively call it a false positive. It also causes the patient to distrust the lab and the testing procedure, mm-hmm. which is really unfair to the lab because in retrospect, based on Dr. Sills' statement, the lab did nothing wrong and that test was done correctly. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a doctor in this situation, instead of telling Matthew that you have a false positive that test got it wrong. I'm telling him that the likelihood of a false positive is generally considered to be very low. So while it may be a false positive, we should manage you as if this is a true positive, which is the safest thing to do. Yeah, It's good news that multiple subsequent tests have come back negative, Matthew, which is reassuring that if you have the virus, you've likely cleared it from your body and you're at low risk to yourself and others. But we should stick with the CDC and NFL guidelines that recommend a five-day quarantine period. Mm. So if you test negative on day four and day five and you remain asymptomatic throughout, Matthew, you're fine to go back to work and play. I was going to say, so that actually brings up my next point. Exactly. So now that after this whole thing has happened with Matthew Stafford, the NFL, again, as I mentioned earlier, stated that they're going to be changing the whole NFL testing rule and how they're going to be going about that. So what exactly is the new COVID protocol? And is it really safe for players to come back after just a few days of testing positive for COVID? All right. So here's the brand new protocol from the NFL. Remember previously the protocol was five days minimum. Mm-hmm. Well, now the new protocol is you can return if tests are negative for the POC, which is the point of care test, which is a rapid test and the PCR test, which is all takes longer for the results to return. If those are negative the next day, Mm. and you had negative tests prior to the positive test, then you're okay to return immediately. So what does this mean? If Stafford tests positive Friday, that means he repeats the testing Saturday morning. If those tests come back negative, he's playing Sunday morning. Now, depending on the turnaround time of the PCR test, which again takes longer than the POC test, Mm -hmm. Stafford could potentially be back in less than two days. (laughs) If that PCR test can come back within 12 hours or even less, uh, if Stafford tests positive Saturday, you repeat those tests on Sunday morning, maybe the results are back in time for the late afternoon game or the Sunday night game, Mm -hmm. which again brings up the issue of how are the NFL labs and teams going to handle the test result returns? Mm -hmm. Are all the teams going to have the same turnaround time for their test? Because it's unfair if they don't have the exact same turnaround time especially if it's affecting game day. 
Yeah, that's the biggest question. That was the biggest thing a lot of fans were saying that it the way it happened was he was put on the list on Saturday and then taken off on Tuesday. So if that would have happened during the season, he would have missed the game for that. So again, that's going to be it's going to be really weird to see how teams going to be, how it's going to vary from team to team this season going forward. So your other question was, is it safe for a player to return so quickly from a positive test? Well, mm-hmm. it's hard to say for sure, but if asymptomatic throughout, then the risk is probably low. The CDC return to work criteria recommends two negative tests at least 24 hours apart before returning. So that means you could return to work as soon as the third day. Well, the NFL protocol right now is allowing you to return on the second day, which is actually a bit faster than the CDC recommendations. Now, that does not necessarily mean the NFL is doing the wrong thing or it's a bad idea because no one really knows for sure right now. Mm -hmm. Now, an interesting tangent on this that potentially could affect things is for a player to return, he needs to say he is asymptomatic before and after that positive test. Symptoms are subjective and require self-reporting, similar to concussion symptoms. Mm -hmm. There's no test a doctor can run to determine if a player has sinus congestion, fatigue, feeling ill, loss of taste or smell, trouble breathing, etc. So if a player really wants to play, he can simply deny that he's having any symptoms. Yeah, exactly. And so again, that kind of goes into the next question I have with the whole antibody test. Is that even useful? And how, if it is useful, how could the NFL use that to determine if players are safe to return to play? Yeah, John Poole on Twitter asked me uh, that question about the antibody test, which is a good question. So here's what we think we know about the antibodies right now. Number one, it takes the body one to three weeks to produce COVID antibodies. It's a gradual increase. Number two, in many people, the antibody decrease is fairly rapid. Third point is some people may never even produce measurable antibodies. Number four, false negative tests are quite possible, meaning you could have antibodies, but the test doesn't detect them. Mm -hmm. So the bottom line is doctors don't even know totally what to make of antibody tests right now and how to interpret them. So they don't have a huge amount of usefulness. If Stafford got a negative antibody test right after his COVID positive test, it wouldn't change anything because it's too early. Right. If it was positive, that does actually increase the likelihood that the COVID test was a true positive. Now, if Stafford has a series of negative antibody tests from now until two to three weeks from now, I would say that does increase the likelihood that he had a false positive COVID test. However, it does not make it definitively a false positive. So I would never say that it's a false positive. I would still work under the assumption that the COVID test was a true positive. So the bottom line with the antibody test is it may add some information to the clinical picture, but it doesn't change enough to change how Stafford is managed. Yeah, again, it's going to be this is going to be an unprecedented season. There's a lot, there's a lot of questions and there's not enough answers is basically what we're trying to get at right here. We don't know enough. Nobody really knows enough until we get into it. Next up, we'll uh, discuss my article from last week for the sideline report. I took a look at the defensive line as it stands currently. And I kind of asked if they're going to be better this year than they were last year's. I guess, Jimmy, how do you kind of feel about the defensive line as it stands right now? And do you actually see them being better this year? Yeah, it's concerning because Austin Bryan is on the pup. Okwara's on the NFI. Mm-hmm. John Atkins opted out. 
Uh, we recently signed Dalen Mack, but he already got waived. So yep. <laughs> his stay with the Lions was just barely longer than the legendary Lion, Robert Ayers. <laughs> so we, we are hurting, I think, from a, a D-line standpoint. Yeah, I completely agree. It's Again, it kind of started to look like a little bit of a strength with some of the people we brought in, and hopefully some of the people from last year would be able to step up. We've talked about Austin Bryan multiple times in the show, but again, him so him starting on PUP, which is the same list he started on last year, is not a very good start to the season at all. Yeah, so we're hoping for Deshaun Hand to recover from all his injuries and play a lot more. We're hoping that Danny Shelton and Nick Williams can provide help. Mm. Uh, I'm not expecting much from our sixth and seventh round picks, Penasini and Cornell, but maybe one or two of those guys can outperform their draft status. I believe it. I may be wrong. I believe it was Deshaun Cornell that was actually in the top four or five in pressure percentage on quarterbacks last year in the NCAA. He might actually have a big role this upcoming year, but, but yeah, again, and that was the problem with last year's defensive line is that they, it was health. They, again, it came in, it was supposed to be one of the biggest strengths of the team, but none of them could stay healthy. And when some of them were healthy, they, some of the other ones weren't healthy, and none of them actually got to play all together for a full season. So if that defensive line last year just could have played all together a full healthy season, we could have saw a completely different defensive line than we saw. But it could be the same story this year. If health doesn't come on our side, then it could, again, it could be the exact same problem as last year. We just have to hope that our secondary can be a lot better than the 32nd ranked defense that it was last year. Yeah, we might be counting on our linebackers a lot more this year for both pass rush and run stopping. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I do think overall, not just the defensive one, but I think the defense in general will be a lot better. Again, I think we've got a little bit more depth in certain areas. Again, some less in some areas, but I think with Corey Underland, we've talked about it hundreds of times, but I do think the defense will be a lot more aggressive and it'll have a different different play style this year than it has in the previous few years. Next up today, we'll we'll talk about the NFL deadline to opt out, which was last Thursday at 4 p.m. August 6th for all NFL players. Thankfully, we only had a few Lions players that opted out, those being Russell Bodine, John Atkins, and Geronimo Allison. And there were only a few more players that were added to the list the last couple of days in total, making it 66 players in total in the NFL, which for what it's it actually 67. Some guys added just a little right. bit after. Yeah. So actually 67 is to in total uh, for what it's worth is actually more than the NBA and MLB combined than players opting out. And one player, which I thought was pretty interesting. I don't know if that was the extra player that was added at the last second, but last I heard uh, Bill's cornerback Tredavious White initially opted out, but then retracted his statement and said that he decided he wanted to play which I thought was kind of interesting. So basically in our division, the NFC North, there really weren't too many other opt-outs either. One of the biggest was Vikings defensive tackle, Michael Pierce. Um, so I guess, Jimmy, what did you think about the whole opt-out deadline? And did you, again, did you think there'd be more players opting out than happened or did you think there'd be less? Well, my main concern with the deadline was that there's going to be a huge surge of players opting out the, at the deadline. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, the deadline passed with a whimper, which was really good. Yeah. So 67 total players, that's only about 2.6% of the league. So not a big deal. And the important thing is that no big names opted out, no starting quarterbacks, no real yep. big time players. So that's really good news for the league and fans. Mm -hmm. Most guys who opted out seem to be fringe players that might not even make the team. Yeah. Now that's not actually true for the bears and Vikings though. You brought up Michael Pierce with the Vikings. 
He's a defensive lineman, a big run-stopping guy. He signed for three years, $27 million just earlier this year. Yeah. So he's not even going to play his first year of the contract until next year. Mm-hmm. The Bears lost Eddie Goldman on the D-line as well. He's also a big run-stopping guy. He yeah. signed for four years, $42 million in 2018, so another pretty expensive defensive lineman. He'll be going to the third year of his contract when he returns. Both those guys being out is really good news for DeAndre Swift and Kerry Young Johnson yep. in case you're considering those guys in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, so that's a little hint. Maybe you take a look at some of those Lions running backs in fantasy this year if you're looking for a possible breakout running back. Yeah. Now the Packers only lost Devin Funches, mm-hmm. so that's not a big loss at all. He signed for one year, $2.5 million, which suggests they weren't expecting a whole lot from him. Yeah. But the Packers were already very thin at wide receiver. Aaron Rodgers, along with half the team, was hoping they would draft a wide receiver in the first round. Instead, they took Jordan Love. <laughs> so losing Funchess may hurt them, even though he's not a great player. Yeah. I'm Again, I don't really follow the Packers too much, but I believe he was the only wide receiver they brought in this offseason, if I'm correct. But again, I might be wrong about that. So, yeah, again, like you said, they're already short at wide receiver. So it's going to be interesting to see. I know a lot of people are kind of claiming it, that they just kind of crap on the Lions and they give us really bad early season records before the season starts. But I think this division actually might be really tight this year, again, barring health-wise. But the Vikings lost a lot of players on defense. I don't think they're – and on offense, they lost to Fon Diggs. I don't think their offense is – or their team in general is going to be as good as they have been. And same with the Packers. Aaron Rodgers just keeps getting older, even though he still is one of the best quarterbacks. But like we just mentioned, he doesn't have that much help. And the Bears, same with defense. It's As long as we can score enough points on offense against their defense, I really don't think that we have to worry about either who's their starting quarterback, Nick Foles or Mitchell Trubisky. I don't think it's going to make much of a difference for them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this division is up for grabs. The Vikings, as you said, lost a bunch of players on defense. Trey Wangs, Everson Griffin, Xavier Rhodes, and now Michael Pierce. The Packers, the whole Jordan Love situation, I think that potentially improves Aaron Rodgers' play this year, but really creates instability going forward. Mm -hmm. So I think the division is up for grabs and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Yeah. It's going to be a real close division. I think no matter what, again, barring health wise, if everyone can stay healthy, that's what, I mean, that's fair for every team. You say that for every team, if everyone stays healthy, almost every team has a shot at winning the super bowl. But like I said, I think if the lions can stay healthy, I really do think we have a shot at finally winning the division this year for the first time in my lifetime. So let's talk about the lions opt outs and see how, how much of impact they're going to have. Yeah. First of all, we don't know if these were standard or high risk opt outs. It's listed as unknown at this time. Mm. So Russell Bodine was a center signed for one year, $910,000, not very much money. He's 28 years old already. Uh, I would expect him to be waived in the off season too old and probably wasn't even going to make the team this year Mm -hmm. second guy john atkins he had one year six hundred seventy five thousand dollars left on his contract he played 35 percent of defensive snaps last year which is a pretty big number so i think that is actually a potentially bigger loss than we might have thought Mm-hmm. The third guy was Geronimo Allison. He's 26 years old. We signed him for one year, $1 million. We gave him a $137,000 signing bonus. Uh, it's a very small amount of money to sign for a wide receiver. I wasn't 
expecting much from him this year, and there's a good chance he wasn't going to make the team. So overall, I think the Lions were fortunate in the opt-outs. They didn't lose any starters or major impact players. Yeah, I agree, which I'm thankful for because once they um, announced that they had the whole opt-out portion, which, I mean, obviously is fair for every player, but once they started to announce that, I was very scared on certain players. And everyone, again, mentioned with Stafford and his wife and the history that she's had, people were thinking that he could opt out. And he's, I mean, he still can't really at this point, which... I guess, I don't know if you saw, we can talk about this for a quick sec. Jamie Collins also recently said that he think opt-outs could still be a problem going into the season. Did you uh, see that article at all? Yeah, the NFL is allowing some opt-outs during the season if circumstances change with either the player's health or the player's family's health. I don't know the exact details of uh, when a player might be able to opt out, but there is that possibility. So again, I guess there is that possibility that Stafford could possibly opt out again like you just said depending on certain circumstances that happen yeah i i don't think we need to worry about stafford opting out yeah Uh, as far as jamie collins saying that he wished the nfl had allowed more opt-out time or allowing opt-outs during the season well players are allowed to retire at any time they're not (laughs) being forced to play so they do already have an opt-out scenario at any point they can retire the contract basically goes into a freeze mode just like the tolling they will require be required to pay back signing bonus a la calvin johnson situation which is why a lot of players aren't going to want to try to take the retirement option yeah i agree it's so it's going to be crazy to see if they players start opting out in the middle of the season yeah i'm not expecting that to happen really yeah, again, unless there's certain drastic circumstances that changes in a player's life or family, I don't think there's going to be a big opt-out more in the season. Right. One point I want to make about the all the lying opt-outs is don't expect any of these guys to be with the Lions next year or even in the NFL. These guys are fringe guys who have already opted out. It's hard to imagine Bob Quinn or another GM wanting to take a chance on them next off season. Yeah. You could say that about almost all these players, unless like they already have a huge contract, like Michael Pierce or CJ Mosley. CJ Mosley. Right. Yeah. Unless they're players like that, they're more than likely going to be cut and probably blackballed from the NFL. So, so talking about Geronimo Allison opting out, that sort of goes into the next topic, which the lions made a couple of roster cuts and they finally got their roster down to the 80 man roster that is set for the, training camp and they ended up waving Travis Fulgham, Josh Garnett, Michael Jackson, Chris Lacey, Christian Sam, and Jonathan Wynn. So that is in total again with Geronimo Allison that takes down three wide receivers out of the wide receivers room. And we've talked about this on a previous episode that we initially had 11 wide receivers signed with possibly Jamal Agnew being added. So that was 12 wide receivers at one point that the Lions possibly had signed to the roster. So that brings that down to nine at this point. Again, barring Jamal Agnew's position, what's going on officially with him. So I guess, what are your thoughts on the cut downs and the wide receiver room in general? Yeah, what stood out to me was the wide receiver cuts. Mm -hmm. Travis Fulgham was not a huge surprise, although a minor surprise, because he's only going into his second year. We just drafted him last year in the sixth round. But when you look at his playing snap counts from last year it was highly concerning he only played five percent of offensive snaps last year and he only played five percent of special team snaps so he wasn't even valuable as a special teamer 
Mm-hmm. So this was sort of there were some foreboding signs that he was not going to make the team this year. Yeah, the Chris Lacey cut was also interesting because he actually played twelve percent of snaps on offense last year. He played over twice as much as Volgum. When you look at the top seven wide receivers from snap count of last year, we have Galladay, Jones, Amendola, and Hall, mm-hmm. Fulgham, Lacey, and then Kennedy, Tom Kennedy, who only played eight snaps, so he barely even counts. Yeah. So Fulgham and Lacey are out. We got the top four guys, which seem to be pretty rock solid at this point, which includes mm-hmm. uh, Marvin Hall. But beyond that, I think our wide receiver depth is very questionable at this point. Quintess Cephas, our fifth rounder, stands a very good chance of making the roster at this point. Yeah. Uh, Agnew, as you mentioned, also was helped by this initial round of cuts. Mm-hmm. And maybe even Jason Huntley, our fifth rounder this year, is helped by it. Because yeah. Jason Huntley is not exactly a running back. He might be a more of a gadget guy like a Jamal Agnew. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to see how this all plays out. But I am concerned about our wide receiver group if any one of our starters particularly Galladay or Jones goes down with an injury. Yeah, I agree. Well, one guy that is going to be a big time wide receiver for us is TJ Hawkinson. So we should almost like slot him right into this wide receiver group. We drafted him to be a big time receiver for us. He could easily have 80 to hundred catches this year. Yeah. He could easily be up there with some of the top tight end. And again, he could be another secret fantasy option. If someone's looking for your, a sleeper tight end this year, TJ Hawkinson could might possibly get a lot of targets again, because we know Stafford likes a lot of those slants, a lot of those short passes sometimes when all of our wide receivers are being covered deep. So if TJ Hawkinson could get a lot of those short passes. All right. I guess that's going to do it for us. I want to thank everyone for tuning in and we'll see you again next time. <laughs>